This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hi, this is Dan Fouts, and you're listening to Clark and Ira on the I Test for Two podcast. Well, welcome to this week's edition of the I Test for Two, where Ira, before we get to week two of the NFL, I want to get to the bottom of something. And surprise, surprise, it has nothing to do with your quarterback, Tom Brady. It has everything to do, however, with what's going on to today's game with place kickers. I mean, they seemed like they were everywhere last week. We had Chris Boswell's game-winning field goal in overtime. I think that was 53 yards. Will Lutz had a 51-yard game-winning kick in Atlanta. Uh, a rookie named Cade York nailed a 58-yarder in, in uh, Carolina, and I think that got him the special teams player of the week. And, of course, there was that failed 64-yarder Monday night in Seattle. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but I know someone who does, and that's today's guest. And I'm talking about, of course, Morton Anderson, who was the league's all-time leading scorer until Adam Vinatieri came along and was a two-time all-decade choice. And who, Ira, I think you know this, still holds the NFL record for most regular season games played. I think that's 382. It's a lot. Morton, first of all, thanks so much for joining us. And and second, I'll ask the obvious question. Um, the accuracy of today's kickers is up, and so is the distance. It seems like 50-yard field goals no longer are risky. 60 yarders are really no longer an anomaly. So I'll repeat, repeat the question I asked earlier. What is going on with today's kickers? You know, I was sitting, uh, I was sitting there Monday night watching Denver play Seattle. And I know the big storyline was Russell Wilson going back to Seattle and all that. But at the end of the game, I was shaking my head because I was thinking, here's a, Denver has a, a first year coach and, Tough decisions have to be made, but you have a timeout. It's fourth and four, and you're looking at, okay, you had 20-some seconds. Why are you not trying to get the – you know, I know that McManus has a big leg, okay, but when you get out of 64 yards, it, it, the percentages go down. And I know that the, today's 60 is like the 50s of the 80s. But get get my man another 10 yards, you know. Get the first down, call the timeout, and give him a 54-yarder, and Denver wins the game. There's no question in my mind that that was a mistake to let, let that clock run down and say we expect our guy to make a 64-yarder. But that speaks to the, to, to, to the bigger issue of what the perception is of the kicker today. They've gotten a lot better, you know, and, and there's a couple of reasons why they're – they had the luxury of spending much more time with their unit, meaning the, the long snapper, which is a designated long snapper. That's all he does is snap the ball. So that's different than when I played. We had an offensive lineman with sweaty gloves on. He just went on a 10-play drive, and now he's got to put a different hat on and snap the ball eight yards. So I might have him once a week because he's a starting offensive lineman or backup. He's got to do offensive drills. He doesn't have the time to go over there and, and hang out with the kicker and the, and the holder. So there's a luxury in what these guys have available to them today, and they're better. And so when you 
when when you look at guys trying these long kicks, which we did, and to your point, you, you mentioned it in the intro, 58 yards, 54 yards, 60. I mean, last year, Justin Tucker in Detroit, 66 yards, hits the crossbar and goes over. These guys are just better, and, and it's because they – it's a full-time job. I mean, it's a completely full-time job, and their support staff is amazing. So the perception has changed. Now, are all 32 teams loaded with great kickers? No, of course not. But you look at any position, all teams are not loaded with great quarterbacks. You know, we can go there. So it's a luxury when you find a guy that's stable, that you can count on. Will Lutz, I was at the Saints-Falcons game. I was sitting up there with Mrs. Benson, who, who owns the team, and you know, Will misses a forty-four yarder in the early in the game. Now, a, a mo- an inexperienced guy, a young guy, could have just tanked at that point. But the the fact of the matter is, when you're an NFL kicker, you're asked to be in some very uncomfortable, distasteful situations. And Will was asked at the end of the game to make a fifty two-yard field goal to win the game. I think it was 52. And he nails it. Now, I'm not so sure if you were an inexperienced guy that you're going to nail that thing. But the luxury of having a Will Lutz who's been there, done that, it's just so invaluable. And it's the difference between winning the football game and losing the football game. I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, it is. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. And, and actually, it leads to another question, Morton, which is, is the most important trait that you're looking for in a kicker, is it more physical or is it more mental? It's the ability to embrace the world of suck. Okay. It's the ability to say, this is really difficult and I may screw it up, but at the end of it, I'm still going to be successful. You know, it's a marathon being an NFL player. You've got 17 games now. You've got 18 weeks. It's a long season, and uh, you have to just the, – the thing you look for in any position is, is this guy able to consistently perform at a high level, no matter where, no matter what? Can we count on him? Can we trust him? I think if you ask any head coach, they look for in their players, besides great physical ability, is that mental aptitude, that, that ability, can I trust this guy in these – perceived high pressure situations and so that is no difference you know no different for the place kicking position more talking about consistency more nobody embodies it more in the modern game than justin tucker you 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 already mentioned justin tucker morty's a 91 percent kicker last year i think he went six for six from 50 and beyond what separates Justin Tucker from everybody else? And is he going to get a bust in Canton one day? Well, he will get a bust in Canton if he continues on the path that he's on. And, um, you know, I thought I was pretty good at 80%. You know, 8 out of 10. Now, will you take 8 out of 10? Most guys are going to say, most coaches will say, yeah, if I can have a guy that can succeed 8 out of 10 times over 25 years, I'm taking that guy. And that guy should also have a bust in Canton, so, which I do. But Justin is at a different level, and he's, he's proven to be able to stay there now for a number of years. And um, so, yeah, I, am I willing to 
put him into Canton, Ohio today? No, but I, I think he's got a hell of a great start. <laughs> you know, he he's a difference maker, and he, he makes big kicks, long kicks in any situation. He's very consistent. I've met Justin uh, on a several occasions. You know, he's a well-rounded individual, which most of the guys are. Most kickers are leader on the football team, not necessarily uh, loud or anything like that, but he's got a lot of other interests. He's an intelligent human being, you know, and he's just very dedicated and prideful. He takes a lot of pride in what he does. Works very hard at it. And most of the time when you have talent and you work hard at it, good things are going to happen. Mort, you've kicked all over this league in every stadium possible, conditions possible. Mort, looking back at your career, what was the toughest stadium to kick in and why? Well, um, I would say a big thing for guys, for us, is footing. Where, where can I get a good plant? And uh, Chicago was run by the city of Chicago. The stadium was. And it was sand. So when you plant it, you would basically have your foot move forward, you know, a foot or so, and the turf would just get, and they used it for multiple other, you know, they would use it for concerts and lots of other things. So I think we played a playoff game there and a couple of days before they had had a Rolling Stones concert there. This thing was chewed up. And by the end of the first quarter, it was almost like unplayable. And uh, it was just very difficult because when you expect your plant foot to be in one place and then it ends up a foot further your strike point on the ball changes. You know, you just have no chance to deliver a good strike on the football if that plant foot is moving. So I would say Chicago was because of the footing. Candlestick Park, San Diego, those type of places where you have uh, dual-purpose fields, meaning you play baseball on it. So a lot of the old stadiums, you know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, a lot of stadiums had that. Fulton County in Atlanta, where you would play baseball and football. And so when you got to Sunday and you were playing NFL football, you would still have the dirt, the infield, the pitching mound. They would put a basically just patch the pitching mound and grind it down a little bit. But I remember in San Diego, there was still a little bit of a mound. You know, the field wasn't completely level. So those the candlestick was tough because of the wind. It was right on the bay. Uh, swirling winds, going from grass to dirt, dirt to grass. Those those things are tough, and you may get a ball that's right in the seam between dirt and grass. You know, th- those are tough situations. Um, but uh, you know, almost all, all, all made for great intrigue and uh, and challenging for us for sure. But but now you got better fields. I mean, you just have better fields overall. There's not a stadium anymore where you're playing baseball and football. You know, everybody has their own place. You couldn't get any satisfaction that day in Chicago, right? Uh, <laughs> exactly, man. You know, I think I had two kicks blocked. <laughs> couldn't get any lift on the ball because my plant foot kept sliding uh, forward. <laughs> and if you can imagine, uh, I guess it's like chunking a, a golf ball, you know, it's just – it's just clooping there. It's just got no power on it because you get your leverage from a solid plant because then you can transfer your weight through the ball. If that thing's unstable, you got no chance. 
I was glad you mentioned Candlestick because I covered the 49ers for six years there. And we saw a lot of you or they saw a lot of you when you were with Atlanta and New Orleans. And the kickers there always told me the wind was tough, that the wind was very tough. And then as you got into January, the wet could the, the, the uh, surface could be really wet because that field was below sea level and it would get soggy. Yeah. So they thought that was one of the most difficult places to kick. Yeah, it, it was. And uh, we did have some good battles with the Niners and I had some kicks against them and won some games. That part was really fun. Always fun to beat Montana and Rice and Jerry Seaford and all those guys. Well, speaking of big kicks, Morton, I want to take you back to Michigan State in 1981. We were talking about that 64-yarder that Denver tried. But mm-hmm. you nailed a, you nailed a 63-yarder in 1981 against Ohio State, I think it was. Um, yeah. What was that like, the, the pressure you were put under? I mean, a 63-yarder then, it would seem to me, would be like a 73-yarder today. But what was the pressure like? that you were under at that point. And I guess if you sort of translated it to what happened on Monday, what was the pressure that Brandon McManus was feeling when he was asked to do a 64 yarder to win the game at the end? Well, I mean, I, I, there wasn't much pressure. We were, we, we got killed. We got killed by the Buckeyes. It was right before halftime. So it was kind of like, well, we can throw a Hail Mary or let Morton try a long kick. I had wind behind me. And when I hit the ball, it sounded like a cannon, you know. So I said, this thing has definitely has a chance. And this was back when there was old, the old 16-millimeter, 8-millimeter, whatever it was, reel-to-reel. That was the game film. When we were yeah. watching the film, there was a kid behind the goalpost, and he was, he was standing a couple of yards behind the goalpost. When I kicked it and he saw it coming, he backed up about 20 yards because that, that ball cleared by about 15 yards. And he caught it running backwards. So in my mind, I'm thinking, if I had made this, if I'd been back another 10 yards at 73, this kick still is good. That's how far it went. So, you know, we it was a great high for us going into halftime, but, I mean, it didn't affect the outcome of the game whatsoever. We got killed. So from that standpoint, it wasn't a game win or anything like that. As far as McManus, I don't think he – you're out at 64 yards. You're on your own side of the field. Well, that's crazy. That's ludicrous to even think about that we're trying these long kicks now. But, again, in hindsight, I think Denver would have done him more justice had, had they gone for the fourth down play, gotten the yeah. first down. Now, I know the, the risk is you don't get the first down. The game's over anyway. But my feeling was, man, get this get this guy to 54, 55. Now you just increase your, your probability of success by a bunch. Um, so I, I'm not sure McManus, uh, I, I hadn't spoken to him, so I, you, you would have to ask him, was he surprised that they didn't do that? Was he, I, I'm sure there was a conversation between him and the coach that said, hey, can you make this? And you know he's going to say, yeah, I can make it. And he had oh, the sure. distance. But when you kick, and he was wide left, and most of the time for a right-footed kicker, when you really have to try a long one, you're usually going to be wide left because the hip, you know, you're going to you're going to pull through it a little more to try to get a little more leg in it, and that's what so, happened. But yeah. so I understand about the the 63 yarder versus Ohio State, but I guess I'd ask you this: What's your most memorable kick? I mean, I would think that might be one, or maybe it was that 
overtime field goal against um, uh, Minnesota in the championship game. Yeah, 99. That was game. special. Yeah, yeah. The NFC championship game was special because it meant we're going to the Super Bowl and um, and the way we came back in that game. So that was a real great explanation, you know, exclamation mark on a game where we were underdogs, where everybody kind of did their thing and so many guys had to make big plays. And I just made the last play, but I can't make the last play if Chuck Smith doesn't strip Cunningham and at the end of the first half and Terrence Mathis doesn't catch the comeback route from Chris Chandler at the end of the game in regulation to get us into overtime. A lot of these things have to happen in succession in order for me to get it even get an opportunity. So that thing was very gratifying, I would say. But, you know, all the game winners, and I've had over 103 of them, so you, you can you – can, look at them and it's funny you remember everything you made and i don't remember a miss did i miss guys i don't remember uh, <laughs> no no <laughs> i already think so stats. Yeah, of, you, well the numbers say 20 yeah the numbers say i missed uh two out of ten so i guess i did yeah, and i don't remember any of them <laughs> mort i got two more for you thanks so much for your time mort speaking sure. about the game winning field goal attempts I'm curious, Mort, what what used to go through your mind when your team is driving and they're down by a point or two and they're starting to get into field goal position, um, mm-hmm. the pressure uh, that you felt going into the kick. And, and Mort, did it change over the years once you established yourself and built up your confidence in, in that regard? You know, I think I probably was a little nervous in the beginning, but as I evolved, as I got better, more confidence, more skins on the wall, if you will, it just became just a real joy to have these opportunities. And I looked forward to them. Um, and I started to think that uh, I started looking at, at the word, the concept of pressure differently. I, pressure happens when your skill set doesn't match the task at hand. That's when you feel pressure. And most pressure is really exerted upon yourself by yourself. It's internalized. Uh, And other people's perception of the situation really didn't affect how I dealt with it because I had great confidence and I had earned the right to be there Sunday afternoon and be in that situation. So I think, you know, luck, luck favors the exceptionally prepared. Success happens when you're exceptionally prepared. And you have talent, and I, I was, you know, I was blessed with both, with an abundance of both. I, I had a lot of talent, and I worked my butt off. And so, when I got in those situations, it was almost like an invitation to succeed. It wasn't like I wasn't fearful. Now, in the first couple of years, I was. I was fearful until I learned how to handle it and how to look at it. And it was really a, a change in in attitude for me, and a change in perception of how I dealt with with these perceived distasteful situations. And it really boiled down to my level of preparation physically and mentally. I did a lot of cognitive intervention, a lot of mental training. I would visualize kicks. I would go through them in slow motion. I would go through them first person, third person. I would look at them, you know, and I would rehearse. And that's what happened. And I realized at the end of the day, I was driving the car. I trusted my snapper and holder implicitly. 
So I never thought about any of that thing. I just thought about two things that I controlled as an athlete, my effort and my attitude. What can I bring that to, to my workbench, which is where the ball is put down? And then can I deliver in the moment of truth? And the moment of truth is when plant foot hits the ground. You're either right or wrong. And, um, you know, I embraced that moment of truth and just delivered. More last one for me. Um, and they talk about this all the time with kickers, but I think things have changed a little. You tell me, um, more the way other teammates, you know, the trench guys, the 310 pounders that, that are killing each other for, for 40 snaps. Um, how do they look at, at, at specialists? How do they look at kickers and punters? Uh, had that changed over the years, uh, since in, in your NFL career, you, you hear that they, uh, they kind of look down on, on those specialists. I never felt that. Um, and I think the way you were looked upon, you earned it. You know, you either earned it or you didn't. If you were good, you earned respect. I think that goes for any position and not just a specialist. But if you were good and you were putting the ball through the uprights, you're an asset to the football team, you're winning football games, you're going to earn respect. You're you're going to be one of the guys. If you're shanking them all over the place, first of all, you're not going to be there. You're going to be gone, and somebody else is going to be in there. And um, that's really where it was. I was, uh, you know, I earned the the right to be in that locker room and on that sideline and in those games for more games than anybody in the history of the game. And um, so the league is performance driven. You guys know this. I mean, it's it's. Show me. Don't talk about it, but show me. Show me that you can do it. Show me you can do it over a long period of time, consistently at a high level. And uh, my locker is next to you, and you're my buddy, and you're my teammate, and let's go. We're speaking with Morton Anderson on the eye test for two, and Morton showed people for a long, long time in an illustrious Hall of Fame career. And, Morton, uh, I, I want to ask you uh, just to follow on Ira's question about preparation. You'll see today uh, some coaches, maybe a lot of coaches, before the kicker lines up for possibly a game-winning kick, but certainly an important kick. They'll call a timeout just before the snap. I don't know if that ever happened to you, but A, does it? if it did, did it bother you? Or B, does it affect a kicker? Is it to anyone's advantage when that happens? Yeah, it happened to me. And, and I, will, I always jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, say you can't ice ice. So... <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're, how do you ice ice, right? How do you, uh, if you're going to call a timeout on me, that's just going to allow me more time to get my target line, get my breathing the way I want it. And uh, you're basically just postponing the inevitable. In the <laughs> NFC Championship game, uh, Coach Green, he called a timeout on me. I knew he was going to call timeout. I just look, I remember looking over his sideline and he was, I could tell he was just postponing the inevitable because we were we had already won that game. It was a thirty-eight yarder from the left hash. It's not like it was it was in the wheelhouse. You know what I mean? And I had made yeah. that kick the night before in my hotel room, so it wasn't like <laughs> un, wasn't unfamiliar wasn't unfamiliar territory uh, from me. And I remember going on the field in that game, and all my teammates were holding hands and praying and. I looked down the, I said, come on guys, get up, you know, but I realized they weren't driving the car. I was driving the car 
And I knew we were going to win the game. I just hadn't told them. Maybe I should have told them so they didn't have to be that nervous. <laughs> um, and then a couple last things. One is, um, do you think we've reached the, the, the tipping point here in terms of distance? I talked about all those kicks that are, you know, 50, 60 yards. Or, or can you imagine a 70-yard field goal someday? Certainly it looks like you hit a 70-yard field goal at Ohio, against Ohio State. 1981 with the wind behind you, but can you imagine that kickers will someday be kicking 70 yard field goals? Yeah, I think it will happen. I think we'll have a 70 yarder. I hit a 76 in practice at Michigan State, so <laughs> I, I've hit I've hit 70 plus yarders. Uh, you know, back when I was younger, obviously, but yeah, there's definitely a handful of guys that can, at least three guys that I can think of that can uh, hit the the 70 yard field goal right conditions. Of course, uh, McManus, big advantage in Denver at altitude. Yep. Um, it really is. It's probably seven to ten yards extra. Yep. So, right. uh, of those three, do you include you include Tucker? I would think as well, right? Yeah, Tucker, McManus, um, Legatron. There, he's pretty good. Um, there's a couple of guys. I mean, and there may even be more than guys and maybe five guys that can do it uh, okay you know the kid in atlanta is pretty good cool he's pretty good lux is pretty good so there's there's a there's a bunch of you know guy in york that we just saw hit a yeah. big ball right that thing right. hit the net it's like yeah. holy cow so yeah. there's a number of guys i don't think the strength is an issue it's really the accuracy when you get out that far um the margin of Era just becomes smaller, but um, it'll be fun to see. I'd love to see a seventy-yarder. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a beautiful thing what's happening, and and it just emphasizes how important that 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 place kicking position is. The yeah, leading I, I, score I on the football. Yeah, the I leading score on the football team is always it's got a K behind them. That's the bottom line. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and honestly, I think the importance of kicking honestly, was emphasized or underlined by you making the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And Ira knows, we know what the discussion was like in there. And, and you mm -hmm. crossing the finish line, um, you know, as one of three specialists, that was a big deal. And that was a big deal. And I think it's opened the door for others. Um, you know, Vinatieri would be the next. And then we have others yeah. in, in today's game. But I guess my last yeah. question for you today is, if there's another kicker that you would put into Canton today, and I'm talking about Hall of Fame eligible because Vinatieri is not eligible. Tucker's not eligible. Another mm -hmm. kicker that you would put in today who is eligible, who would that mm -hmm. kicker be? I mean, well, you would have to look at Gary Anderson. He had mm -hmm. played for 23 years. He was a leading scorer in the history of the game for a long time, you know, until I broke it and then Vinatieri broke mine. But you would have to look if, if consistent if excellence over uh, a long period of time is important, and if you can't write the history of the NFL without mentioning this guy, then those are those, that's criteria to me at least for consideration. So I I feel that way about you know Gary Anderson. I feel that way about Jason Hansen in Detroit. Um, but again, you know, I don't have a boat. Uh, I would love a bunch of special. I love Steve Tasker. You know, I'd love to Devin Hester to be in there. Mm -hmm. uh, these are great special teams players that affected the game, changed the game, the way we looked at specials, the way we looked at 
how important special teams was as that third component of uh, of football. So there's so many deserving guys, you know, that, um, you know, John Carney is another guy, right? That yeah, was really right. Good over a period of time. Yeah, but I understand it's a, tight, it's a tight squeeze. I know that. It took me five years to get in. So it's it did, a yeah. And, you, and, I, and, and I was the leading scorer in the game. Yeah, you know, and, and you're also a two-time all-decade player. I mean, Ira knows how, yeah. dis- how volatile that discussion was. But you got oh, in, sure. and that's the big deal. You got in, and yes. I do think you yeah. opened the door for others. Well, I hope so. You know, I hope so. I'm grateful, but I hope I hope it uh, it changes the the perception a little bit, at least that that uh, we're a viable part of the game, an important part of the game, and it should be considered and recognized. Absolutely, I think you're right, Morton Anderson. Thanks so much for the time. Always, always a pleasure to speak with you. I had a great time. You guys uh, have a wonderful day. You too, Thanks, Morton. Thanks. That was Hall of Fame kicker Morton Anderson and Ira. Um, I got to be honest with you, I loved listening to him talk about Soldier Field because you saw that field last week and the conditions that were in Chicago. <laughs> and the idea that the plant foot moves as much as he said it does, and you got no chance if that's the case, right? You know, I, I thought the first thing he would focus on is wind. So did but, right. because, you know, but it, it was interesting because uh, that plant foot is, is the key. Um, and Clark, you, you were going over week one, kickers being in the forefront. Uh you got to mention the Titans guy, uh, Bullock, missing a very makeable kick. And McPherson, all he's got to do is kick the extra point. Um, And I don't think it was his fault, Clark, because I think that long long snapper was hurt. Yeah, it was hurt. He was hurt before the game. And McPherson, I put an asterisk on because he's automatic. And the snaps were were not good. Um, I think they they had a – I think it was a backup tight end. I'm not sure. But they had him snap. And and so he's put into emergency duty. And all he has to do is kick the extra point. But that was mentioned just before he's kicking it. Like, this isn't a sure thing. Boom. It's blocked by Mick Fitzpatrick. And then yeah. um, then he's lined up for the field goal in overtime. That he shanked because the snap was so high. It was lucky it was caught. But um, that one, I, I give him a pass on. The Bullock one, yeah, I thought he was going to hit it. He didn't. Um, Ira, I'm, I'm going to go to final thoughts, but I'm going I'm to change it up a little bit today because I'm going to throw it at you first because there are a couple of things that are bothering me. One is... Aaron Rodgers, our favorite battering ram, right? Uh, he last week called Justin Jefferson, quote, the best player in the game today. So, Ira, my question to you is, if that's the case, where does that leave Aaron Donald? Uh, I thought it was a crazy statement uh, because uh, Jefferson doesn't have the body of work that, that Aaron Donald does. Um, I'm still taking Aaron Donald um, because you got Devontae Adams, you got other guys. There's nobody like Aaron Donald. At his Nobody position. like Aaron Donald. Yeah, there's a and, huge and, drop off. Uh, Clark, one thing I want to throw at you, my friend, off week one, and of course you write that great column of week one, weekly observations. Clark, I'm going to give you four teams. I don't think these teams showed up at least offensively. They each scored ten points or less, Clark, on opening day. Now, who scores ten points in the modern day NFL? Green Bay. The Rams, your Niners, and the Cowboys. I mean, Clark, they, they weren't ready to play week one. Well, the Cowboys, I think, are in trouble because of the quarterback situation. But it's not just that. They don't have any playmakers. And the offensive line's a mess. The San Francisco situation, just because I covered that team years ago, 
that intrigues me. And I've told you before on this program why. Because I think they're gambling on a quarterback who's thrown fewer than 400 passes in his career. I mean, I, I think that's a real risk. And, and it, to me, is um, the reason that they signed or re-signed um, Jimmy Garoppolo, especially at a cap-friendly contract. They need a safety net. All that guy does is win games. I don't care what you think you have in Trey Lance. You know what you have in Jimmy Garoppolo. He wins games. So I think he's there as a safety net. And I would think Lance is going to be on a short leash if they don't win fairly soon. Because that's supposed to be a Super Bowl team. It should be if they have a quarterback and knows what he's doing. And I'll give him a pass maybe, you know, last week. It, it was, yeah, it was rotten conditions. But, yeah, it was rotten for the Chicago, too. And Justin Fields outplayed him in the second half, although he wasn't remarkable either. But there was nothing to me spectacular. He made some plays, but he missed some great opportunities. So those are the two stand. I think Green Bay will be okay. Um, and the Rams would be okay too, but, um, those two, the Cowboys in San Francisco, um, to me of, of the four, the Cowboys, the ones I'd worry about. The other thing I wanted to mention to you, Ira, that crosses my mind is a baseball situation because as you know, I lived in New York for years. Uh, I followed the Yankees for years. We now live in, uh, Connecticut, but CC Sabathia of all people this week said that Aaron judge is not the most valuable player in the league. He's not. Shohei Otani is. And he says it's not even close. Well, now that's shocking for a couple reasons. One, Sabathia pitched for the Yankees. And yes. two, anyone who watches them, and you see him down in Tampa Bay, uh, Ian, our producer, Ian Glendon, a Red Sox fan. Sorry, Ian, the last two games were tough. But, but he sees them. He sees them 18, 19 times a year when they play Boston. They know that he's carrying the club. And it's in first place in the AL East. The rest of that team couldn't hit for about a month or a month and a half. Right. He That's has. Right. So I, I just don't get that. And and secondly, and maybe worse, Sabathia called Otani, quote, the greatest player ever, unquote. I think he's drinking from the same Kool-Aid that Aaron Rodgers did because here's another quick question. Ever heard of Babe Ruth? Exactly. I mean, yeah, he pitched and hit two. In fact... <laughs> He won 23 games twice in a season, twice. And he was on three World Series teams, winners in Boston, in Boston. And, and you know, for those who look it up, and I know you are Mr. Stats, and, and Ian's now scrambling for that record in the back book. He was 94 and 46 as a pitcher, 94 and 46 with an ERA of 2.28. Oh, yeah, uh, he also happened to hit 714 home runs. Please. Don't uh, Clark, I'm, I'm going to get Sabathia's address. <laughs> and I'm going to mail him. Uh, I think Robert Kramer wrote, wrote the definitive book on, on Babe Ruth. I'm, I'm going to mail that to him. Um, <laughs> Clark, idea. Aaron Judge is having a season for the ages. Yes. For the ages. Yes. Now, you could argue Otani's doing things, you know, we haven't seen in the modern era. Okay. He won it last year. I'm not giving it to him again, Clark. Um, his team's terrible. And if it's an MVP award, I, I think you got to factor in where the teams are. Yeah, I do too. That's always bothered me, Ira, because it's the most valuable player. Not the best player, but it has sort of morphed into the best player. But I still would say, yeah, I mean, Otani, he can, he can do it all. But Aaron Judge is invaluable. And the year he's having is, is so far better than anything we've seen recently. Really is one for the ages. And I don't know how you would deny him uh, the MVP. And but, for me, um, Clark, for me, speaking for me, if he gets 62 – He's the home run. He's the home run. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I agree too. Yeah, I'm going to have to pull the plug in this because I'm getting too worked up. I'm going to have to pack myself (laughs) in ice. Well, that's going to do it for this week. So if you want to listen to this or any I Test for Two podcast, just go to 
the itestfor2.com, right, Ian? You've, you've got that up, the itestfor2.com or fullpresscoverage.com, and we are right there. Otherwise, you can catch us here next week at the itestfor2. Thanks so much for listening.